Welcome to the Vineyard Church of Greater Portland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more podcasts and other resources, please visit www.vineyardportland.org. All right, how you guys doing? Good? All right, let's get into it this morning. Um, you know what? I just want to share with you guys really quick. I have some really good news for you guys this morning. You know that? I do. Do you guys want to hear it? Are you sure? Are you sure you want to hear the good news? Okay. Well, I've come here to share some good news with you guys this morning. We did some worship. We hung out with God. We're hanging out with God. We're worshiping together. And now we're going to hear some good news. So you guys want to hear the good news? All right, here it is. Here's the good news. Jesus wants to give us something this morning. Jesus wants to give us something this morning. He wants to give us something that we will be responsible for. He wants to give us something this morning that we have to steward. But to receive what he wants to give us this morning, trust is required. Okay? And trust is built in the waiting. Trust is built in the waiting. So, what does Jesus want to give us this morning? Any ideas? What does he want to give us? I, that was a rhetorical question, actually. <laughs> so if you're about to answer, I'm really sorry. But we're going to find out this morning what Jesus wants to give us. But understand this one thing. He wants to give us something, and in order to receive it, it requires trust on his part, and trust is built in the waiting. So we're going to go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. And this is what it says. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So that's our text that we're going to launch from this morning. That's our text we're going to build from this morning. And there's two parts to this text. The first one is this. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So the reason why Paul is saying this right now in this moment, in this chapter, is because he's actually dealing with a problem that happened, that is happening and going on right now in the church in Corinth. In chapter 2, you'll find that Paul lays out this argument about who to follow. Because in the church, there's all this division, There's some people in the church that want to follow Apollos, who's teaching in that area, in that church and leading. There's others who want to follow Cephas, who is Peter, because of the teaching they've heard from him. And there are others who want to follow Paul, who actually planted the church. And so there's all these divisions in the church because some people are saying, well, I'm with Apollos. And others are saying, well, I'm with Cephas. And others are saying, well, I'm in Paul. And so what Paul is saying is that This is how you should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries 
of God. He's trying to tie a pretty little bow on the argument that he made earlier in the chapter about who to follow. He is clear. There is one man we should be following, and that is Jesus. That is it. So he wants to make sure that these people in this church understand that because Apollos, Cephas, and Paul are all pointing to one person, and that is Jesus. So whoever you like better, that's fine. But understand one thing, you're not following men, you're following Jesus. That's what he's trying to say this morning. So he goes on to say, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, that is how you should look at us. That is all, simply. We are servants and stewards. So what is a steward? What is a steward? Let's go to the Greek because the Greek word really tells us what the word steward means. And that is this, okonomos. Oikonomos. And that is this, the manager of a household, and this is, keep in mind, this is what Paul is telling the people that who they are, okay? The manager of a household or household affairs to whom the head of the house or proprietor has entrusted the man- management of the affairs. The key word here is has entrusted. Remember that, has entrusted. So a steward is something that someone else has a responsibility to handle or to manage that is given to them by somebody else. That is what a steward is. Paul's saying basically, hey, Paulos, me, Peter, all we are is stewards. We've been given something to be responsible for, and that's all we are. And that's what we're doing. So what are they stewarding? What are they stewarding? Well, it says it right there. We are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That's what Paul is saying. We are stewards of the mysteries of God. So that begs two questions in my mind. First is this. What are the mysteries? And how does Paul know the mysteries? What are the mysteries and how does he know them? Let's first define the idea of mystery, because that can be a little mysterious, (laughs) if you would like. The word mystery is this word called mysterion, and basically it means this, a hidden thing or secret, not obvious to the understanding, a hidden purpose or counsel. That's what a mystery is. That is what Paul is saying he has become a steward of. Now, this idea of mystery is actually connected to uh, a a verse earlier in chapter 2, where Paul is basically trying to make a distinction between the stuff that he's sharing with them and the stuff that the rest of the world is sharing with them. So what he's saying is, is, I am a steward of the mysteries of God. And in Corinth, there are a lot of people that claimed to know the mysteries and have wisdom and knowledge. And so Paul is trying to say, listen, Those people don't understand what we are sharing with you. What we have been stewarded with, what we have been entrusted with, is the mysteries of God. 
in the wisdom and knowledge of God, not the mysteries and knowledge of men. This is what God has entrusted us with. You see it in chapter 2 in 1 Corinthians, a little bit earlier than the main text that we're in. This is what Paul says. He says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Paul is trying to make a distinction here between the two sets of people. What he's saying is is that government leaders, philosophers, mind readers, psychics, people of that nature are different than us as apostles. What he's saying is, is that the former, those people, rely on human intellect, human knowledge, human wisdom, but we rely on godly wisdom, godly knowledge, and godly revelation. He's trying to make a distinction between the two because he doesn't want to confuse the Corinth church in thinking that they are the same because they are not. Paul goes on to say in the text that no one can comprehend the mind and thoughts of God besides the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 2.10, just after he talks about imparting wisdom to the mature, this is what he says. These things, meaning the wisdom, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So what he's saying is, is that unless you have received the Holy Spirit, you, is not, you are not able to be able to understand the mysteries and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. You can be a psychic, you can be a philosopher, you can be a lot of things, but in order to steward the mystery of God, which is his knowledge and wisdom, the Holy Spirit is crucial and key, and it can't be done without him. He says, we impart these things to people not by human wisdom or knowledge, only by the Holy Spirit. And if you have received the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus, guess what? You have now received the ability to understand the mystery of God this morning. You have become a steward of the mysteries of God this morning, if you have received the Holy Spirit. So what are the mysteries? We know how Paul knows the mysteries, right? Through the Holy Spirit. But what are the mysteries of God? Or what is the mystery of God that Paul is talking about? Well, the the mysteries of God are really one mystery, if you will. The mystery of God is really one mystery. Now, it's sort of made up into sub-mysteries that really fall under this one mystery of God. And the really cool thing about the mystery of God this morning, you guys, is that it's already been revealed. It's already been revealed. It's actually no longer a mystery because it's already been revealed to us, which is really cool. 
The mysteries of God or the mystery of God is no longer hiding in secret. The mystery of God is simply the revelation of the gospel. That's what Paul is talking about. It's the mystery of the gospel. The mystery revealed through the working of the Spirit is God's power and plan of salvation through his Son. That is the mystery right there. The mystery is the revelation of God's power and plan for us and the earth through his son, Jesus. That is the mystery we are stewarded, we are stewarding this morning. If we have received the Holy Spirit this morning, we have a responsibility to steward that mystery. We have a responsibility to ask God for his revelation, and not only to ask God for his revelation, to understand it, to comprehend it, and to share it with others. That is the mystery this morning that Paul is talking about. The mystery is Jesus. Jesus wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. He was talked about. He was prophesied about. His character and the man that he was was referred to. They kind of knew what this man was going to be, but he was not fully revealed. And now that Jesus has come to the earth, now that we have writings about him, now that we can read about people that actually interacted with him, he was literally on this earth walking. He has been revealed. He has been revealed to us, and he has been revealed to the world. Not everyone fully comprehends or understands that yet, but the mystery has now been revealed. It was once hidden, and now it is out in the open. It was once talked about and prophesied about, and now we actually know who it is and what it is, and it's Jesus. And this is what Paul says about that. Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 to 3, he says this, For I want you to know how, to, how, how great a struggle I have for you. And he's talking to the church in Colossae. He says, and for those at Laodicea, which is a different church, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts, this is his struggle, this is his hope, this is his dream for the church, that their hearts be encouraged this morning. And check this out, being knit together in love. That is Paul's desire for this church. It is Paul's desire for our church. It is Jesus' desire for our church that we be knit together in love. Why? The only way that we are going to be fully assured of the understanding of God and his wisdom and his mystery is if we are knit together. That's what he's saying. He's saying, knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance. What's assurance? We know that we know, right? We can come to a full assurance of who God is and the knowledge of who he is and the mystery of who he is. How? By being knit together. And what is this mystery? He says it right after. The knowledge of God's mystery, comma, which is Christ. That is the mystery of God this morning. And in Christ in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Christ is the mystery, his plan, his wisdom, his knowledge, his power are all part of that mystery. 
And that mystery is being revealed to us. It's been fully revealed, but it also is continually being revealed. And I'll tell you why that is, and I'll tell you how that happens. Let's go back to the main text, okay? We're going to go back to chapter 4. And the second part of chapter 4, this is what Paul says. After he says, we're servants and we're stewards of the mysteries, this is what he says. Moreover, it is required of stewards, me and you, if you have been, if you have received the Holy Spirit, God has begun to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus, okay? You have become stewards of that, okay? As, as we become stewards, this is what Paul says, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. That they be found faithful. He establishes who he is he establishes his calling. He establishes the reality of who he is, who Apollos is, who Peter is, by merely saying they're servants and stewards. And then he says, as a servant, we are required to be faithful and trustworthy. With what? The mystery. Go back. We are stewards of the mystery, which is Jesus. And because we're stewards, what is required of us? Trustworthiness and faithfulness. That's what he's saying to us this morning. We are stewards of the mysteries of God because Jesus has been revealed to us and we have received the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we are now stewards of this. And as stewards, we are proven to be trustworthy and responsible and faithful in that. The revelation and ability to understand the mystery, or mysteries if you want to call them, which is Jesus, is through a process of trust with God. And that is the big thing that I want to like hammer home to you guys this morning. Trust with God enables the mystery of Jesus to be revealed in your life. That includes his power. That includes his plan. That includes his wisdom and his knowledge. It comes through trust and trust is built in the waiting. That is why back in chapter 2 in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians, we see this. Paul says, we read it already. He said, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Paul doesn't say, among all men do we impart wisdom. He says, among the mature do we impart wisdom. We impart wisdom to people that are ready to receive the wisdom so that they can be stewards with the responsibility. We just don't give it to anybody. There is a level of trust that needs to be established before the gift is given so that you can steward it, is what he's saying. Among the mature do we do that. Let's look at Paul's life for a minute. In chapter 8, we find Paul persecuting people and Jesus' followers called the way in the book of Acts. We see him persecuting people and bringing them to trial, prosecuting them, basically trying to destroy this movement. He was, he was passionate about that calling on his life. Then in chapter 9, we see the revelation of Jesus to Paul when he goes to Damascus, where he's going (laughs) to persecute more Christians. On the way, Jesus says, this is the appointed time. I will begin my revelation to you 
and this is going to change the course of your life, Paul. So we see the first revelation of Jesus to Paul at that moment. He's blinded. He gets to Damascus through a series of events. He receives his sight. And then what does he start doing? He starts preaching Jesus in the, gospel, in, in the, in the synagogues. He starts messing everything up in Damascus. The Jews are like, in the synagogues are like, what is going on here? This guy, we got to get rid of him. So Paul leaves, goes back to Jerusalem. He preaches the gospel in Jerusalem. And then the disciples are thinking to themselves, wait a minute, when this guy left Jerusalem, he was trying to destroy us. Now he's here and he's telling us that he is now with us. I don't buy that. One person bought it, and that was Barnabas. Barnabas decided to take Paul in and say, you know what? I trust you, man. I trust you. Let's go preach Jesus together in the synagogues. So they did. And then it got too hairy for Paul. And so they decided, you know what? Paul, you can't be here anymore. We're going to send you to Tarsus. So they take him to Caesarea, which is a little town on the coast. He sails up to Tarsus. And he hangs out there for a while. And we don't hear from Paul and Acts for a while. And then all of a sudden he re-enters the picture when Barnabas goes to Tarsus to recruit him to go to Antioch. There was a huge church starting in Antioch because of the persecution of, of the Christians in Jerusalem, right? We read about the stoning of Stephen. People are scared. So they spread. And Antioch becomes this church that gets really big. It becomes a church that's thriving. And Barnabas goes to Tarsus and gets Paul and says, hey man, come with me to Antioch. Let's do this. So they go to Antioch and they preach and they teach and they lead that church. The scripture says for over a year in chapter 13, in chapter 11. And then in chapter 13, we see the calling out of Paul by the Holy Spirit. What is my point? My point is this. When Paul was converted on the way to Damascus, when Jesus first revealed to himself who he was, the Holy Spirit didn't call him to plant churches. The Holy Spirit called him to go to Damascus and talk about Jesus. Then he called him to go to Jerusalem. Then he called him to go to Tarsus. Then he called him to go to Antioch. And then Paul fulfilled his earthly mission by being called out by the Holy Spirit with Barnabas to go plant churches. That was the fulfillment of his earthly responsibilities. But my point is this. Paul spent a lot of time in the waiting. He spent a lot of time in the waiting. I'm sure there were points in his life, even though it wasn't recorded, where he thought to himself, Lord, is this it? Am I going to spend the rest of my life in Tarsus? Maybe, and I'm cool with that. But is this it? And at the appointed time, the Holy Spirit pulled him out of Tarsus, brought him to Antioch. And at the appointed time, the Holy Spirit took him out of Antioch and he, the Holy Spirit brought him into his ministry, which is planting churches. Here's the point this morning. At every step of the way, Paul had to prove himself trustworthy for the next responsibility for the next thing to steward. He had to prove himself trustworthy. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2. He says, as stewards, we are required, we are required to be found faithful. We are required to be found faithful. 
and to be found trustworthy. I just want to clear something up really quick about this passage because this can kind of read like, okay, God, you give me this gift, you give me this responsibility to steward, and now it is on me to prove to you that I will be trustworthy with it. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying this. In the waiting, God develops trust with you to give you the gift to steward. The responsibility comes after the trust, not before. So when God gives you something new to steward, it's because he already trusts you with it. Not, oh, I've got to prove myself now because he's given me this. That's not what Paul's saying in this. He's saying, if God has given you something new to steward in your life, if God has given you something new to be responsible for your life, if God has revealed something to you about who Jesus is in your life, it's because he already trusts you with it. If God is revealing knowledge and wisdom about who he is in your life, it's because he already trusts you with it. Not that you have to prove your trust to him. He already trusts you with the responsibility of what he's about to give you. Here's a good application this morning. Think of something really important that has been entrusted to you. Maybe a new job or a new position in your new job. Has anybody had, gotten a new job recently at all? Yep, new job, new job. New, maybe a new position in your job, right? Yeah, okay. Um, having children, that's a pretty big responsibility. Having a job, getting a new job, having uh, a new position in your job, having children. Um, let's see, buying a house, buying a car, going to school. Pretty big responsibilities in your life, right? For all of those things to happen, some level of trust has to be established between you and the party that is involved. So if you think about a new, how, or a, new, a new job or a new position. Trust has to be established between you and the boss before that can happen, right? If you want to have a child, trust has to be established between you and your spouse in order for that to happen. Try walking into a bank or a mortgage company and asking them to lend you $350,000 to buy a house and then they ask you for your credit report, and they ask you for your banking statements, and they ask you for proof of income, and you're like, ah, I don't have any of that. I don't think you're going to be getting that money for a house. Why? Because you have to establish a sense of trust with the bank. You've got to prove to them, I have good credit. I have the money to pay for this. I have good financial records. That level of trust needs to be established before the gift is given. That's my point this morning. God gives you what he's going to give you to steward because he already trusts you with it. The same with a car. You're going to go in to buy a car. You've got to prove that you can pay for the car. You want to take co college loans to go to school. You've got to be able to prove that you can pay those back. There's a level of trust that's involved in all of those things. And the same is true with God. There's a level of trust that we establish with him in the waiting for him to give us the next thing to be responsible for. That's so exciting. I'll bring it down a little bit to my family level. My son, Rylan, 
who has been asking me to go indoor karting for like three years now. Pretty much every night before, before we go to bed for a while, he was asking me, Daddy, can I go indoor karting? I said, no, man, it's not time. Soon, though, buddy, soon, soon. So he literally asked me, I think, for a year, Daddy, when are we going indoor karting? Soon, buddy, soon. Well, this year, he is at the point where I trust him to be able to handle that responsibility of driving a go-kart by himself. I mean, these things go pretty fast, like 35. You know, when you get hit, it hurts a little bit. That's Jackson. I T-boned him one time. It was, it was pretty rough. But anyway, so Rylan, we're, we're going to go indoor karting because he's ready. Gracie wants to go to Beach Ridge with me. In case some of you guys don't know, me and the boys, we go to Beach Ridge every Friday night in August, thing called Car Wars, and it's a lot of fun. They have a blast. But Gracie has been asking me forever, Daddy, can I go to Car Wars? No, babe, not yet. Soon, you will, soon. A couple weeks ago, I took Gracie to Car Wars. She was ready. I trusted that she was ready to do that with us. Jackson. Jackson is almost at the point where he can watch his brother and his sister. We're so excited for that opportunity to come to fruition. <laughs> Some people are... He, he is close. We know. We know he's close. He's not quite there yet, but we know the time will come when we can say to Jackson, Lord, or Jackson, Lord, <laughs> Lord, Lord, help Jackson. He, like, he doesn't like it when I talk about him, but, so I'll stop in a minute. But <laughs> There's going to come a point in time where we're going to release that responsibility to him. Why? Because there's already been a level of trust established with him, right? We're not going to say, you know what, Jackson? Go watch your kids. We don't, go watch our kids. We don't tr quite trust you yet, but we're just going to give you this responsibility. No, that's not how it works. There's a level of trust that needs to be established between us and Jackson, which is ongoing. Jackson right now is in the waiting. He's in the waiting. And so often we find ourselves with God, with Jesus, in the waiting, waiting for that next revelation of the person of Jesus. And it's in that waiting where trust is built. At the appointed times, Jesus will reveal to us the mystery of who he is continually. He will reveal that mystery to us of who he is, his power, and his plan for our lives. And in those moments, he will ask us to be stewards because we have already been proven trustworthy. It is out of the trust that has been established between God and us, where the mystery is revealed, including the will for our lives. That is what God, that is what Jesus wants to give us this morning. He wants to give us his mystery. He wants to reveal to us his mystery and his plan and his power. And every time that new revelation comes of who he is, it's because he trusts us with it. Because he trusts us with it. 
So I just want to encourage you guys this morning. If you're sitting here and you're feeling stuck, you're feeling dry, you're feeling like, God, you are not speaking to me. Lord, where are you? God, reveal yourself to me. I want to encourage you, if you are in that place this morning, and if you are doubting that wherever you are is all that God has for you, I want to encourage you guys this morning this, that Jesus does his best work in the waiting. Jesus does his best work in the waiting. You see it all over Paul's life. Paul had to wait. Paul had to wait. Paul had to wait. And in every season, he was given something to steward that God had already trusted him with. And that led to the next season and the next responsibility and the next gift and the next gift. So if you are sitting here this morning and you know that there is more for you in the Lord, trust in his waiting this morning because that is where trust is built. That is all he is asking us to do. The responsibility, the responsibility he has given us to steward through trust is our glory in the moment. The Bible says that we go from glory to glory. As we grow, we go from glory to glory to glory to glory. And that glory, it, all that glory is is a little bit more of the revelation of who Jesus is in our lives and what he wants to do with our lives and his plan and power. Each glory, each moment, each season comes from revelation out of trust. Through your day-to-day -day faithful obedience to him in every area of your life, whether it be prayer, reading, meditation, quiet time, um, spiritual gifting, um, relationships, family, work, whatever area of your life that you find yourself in, whatever that is, through your faithful obedience in every area of your life, you are continuing to build that next level of trust with him so that at the appointed time, just like Paul, after the waiting, he will reveal even more to you about the mystery of who he is and the will for your life. I just want to finish out with this scripture here. Ephesians, um, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 7. This is what Paul says about Christ's purpose and plan. He says, In him we have redemption, forgiveness, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. And what is his plan? To unite all things to himself, things, on heaven, uh, things in heaven and things on earth. That is his plan for your life, 
for this, for this earth that we are on and for heaven, to unite everything to himself. That is his plan. If you want to know his plan for your life, that is his plan. And as you are unified to Jesus, as you are united with him, guess what you get to do? You get to bring other people along for the ride to do the same thing. That is his ultimate purpose and plan for your life this morning. That is the power of the mystery of God, is uniting things to himself. That is the mystery. So here's how it works. In the waiting, trust is built. As trust is built, revelation comes. As revelation comes, you become more like Jesus. As you become more like Jesus, you become unified with him. And as you become unified with him, you get to help others do the same thing. That's how it goes. That's how it works. So God has entrusted you this morning, and he wants to give you the revelation of his mystery, who is Jesus. And as we do that, and as we become stewards of that responsibility, he will continue and continue to reveal more of himself to you. And that is a wonderful promise this morning. So let's stand.